Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. If you believe it, if you believe that, let your voice out loud. If you believe that He's not done yet, then let your voice out in faith and praise. If you believe He's still writing your story, why don't you let your voice out loud and worship Him together with us. He's not finished yet. He's not done with me yet. Hallelujah. He's still writing the story. He's still writing my story. He's still writing your story. He's still writing the story of this church. God's not done yet. If you believe it, why don't you lift your hands with me right now? Lift your hands and say, Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe the words to this song. I believe that you are still in control. I believe, Lord, there's nothing too hard for you to do. I believe that with you all things are possible. I believe you still have the pen in your hand. and You are still writing the story of my life. And you're not done with me yet. I believe, Lord, you're not done with us yet. Hallelujah. You ever been on your way to a destination and you think you know where you're going? And somehow you make a wrong turn. And somehow you you get off on a road you're not supposed to be on. And you keep going down a road, you make the wrong turn, you're supposed to go right and you turn left. You're supposed to get off on this exit and you don't and and after a few moments, you just, you, you wonder, I'm so far from where I'm supposed to be. I feel like there are people in this room that right now you feel like you've even said to yourself, I just feel like I'm not, I, I just made some wrong turns. But I want to tell you, the Lord's not done with you yet. And the Lord is able I felt the Lord speak to me just a moment ago that the Lord is able to get you back on the right road. You may feel like I I made some wrong decisions. I did some wrong things. I, I got off on the wrong track and I just feel like I'm not going in the right direction. I just want you to know God's not done yet and he has the power to get you right back on track, going right in the right direction toward the destination that is his purpose and destiny for your life. You believe that? He's not done yet. He's not done yet. He is more than able to get you on the road that you're supposed to be on. What a wonderful presence of God in this room. Do you feel his presence in this place? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and give him a fist bump or a handshake and say, I feel Jesus in this room today. I feel Jesus in this room today. I just feel like God has some great things yet in store for us. Amen. And what a privilege and honor for us to be at the Sanctuary Church today. Praise the Lord. I believe it was a God thing, Sister Britt, that God just connected our families together. I met your wonderful pastor about a year and a half ago at the Movement Conference. And um, we just made an instant connection together. And then was so privileged to meet Sister Britt as well. And we have just in such a short time fallen in love with them. And just what I feel in this room today... I just, I feel like God wants to speak to the sanctuary church and just let you know that he's not finished writing the story of this church. Praise the Lord. I don't know what your custom is here. This is my first time here, but if you would stand with me as we read God's word. 
And let me just say that the last 24, 36 hours, we have just thoroughly enjoyed being at the Brit Bed and Breakfast. Uh, your pastor and his wife have truly the gift of hospitality and have made us so feel so very welcome. And uh, every every thing has just been prepared and uh, so much thought given to detail and we just appreciate their hospitality. I'm so glad to have my wife traveling with me. She doesn't always get to go with us and um, to go with me and she uh, did such a fantastic job in the Bible class this morning talking about the Word of God and it is her passion. The Word of God is her passion and she has a tremendous testimony. I'm so glad to have two of my three kids. This is such a special time for us because uh, we, we rarely ever get to all four travel together and uh, to have two of my three, all but my oldest, is with us today and I'm so glad to have Chandler and Chloe traveling with us and we have just had a wonderful time already and I feel such, um, I feel so strongly that God is going to speak to us today. Whenever we open our Bibles, we should say to ourselves, here and now, here and now, God is about to speak to us. And I don't say that because I'm the preacher. It doesn't have anything to do with me. When we open this holy book, whether it's in church on Sunday or midweek Bible class on Wednesday or in your private devotion time, whenever you open your Bible, you should say to yourself, here and now, God is about to speak to me. And I believe that. In the book of Haggai, chapter 2, Haggai, chapter 2, and verse 9. And what a pleasant surprise to, uh, to see some, a few familiar faces here in Hartsell, Alabama. And uh, we've known Sister Lindsay, your worship leader, for a long time. And then I saw Brother Hopkins here somewhere. We go back a long, long way. Amen. Praise the Lord. Haggai chapter 2, verse number 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith, I didn't say it, your pastor didn't say it, saith the Lord of hosts. I just want to preach a few minutes this morning. The glory of the latter house. The glory of of the latter house. Before you're seated, if you'd set your Bible down and just lift your hands with me and pray one more time. Say, Lord, speak to me in Jesus' name. I open my heart, my mind, my spirit, Lord, to receive your word today. I pray the gift of prophecy and the gift of faith be released in this room right now. I pray an anointing come upon us to hear and receive not what a preacher is preaching, but deeper than that, God. Let us have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The glory of the latter house. Thank you for standing so long. God bless you. You may be seated. This prophecy of Haggai, famous prophecy, like all prophecy, it speaks many things to many people. This prophecy has great significance to you and I, to the church, and we're going to talk about that, especially the end time church, and we'll get to that in a few moments. But keep in mind that this prophecy, first of all, was a message that Haggai spoke to a group of people around 515 BC as he stood in the newly rebuilt temple of Zerubbabel. And Haggai declared to those people on that day, he said, I've got a word from the Lord for you all. God says that the glory of this latter house 
shall be greater than the glory of the former house. This latter house, this newly rebuilt temple, shall be greater in its glory than the glory of the former house, referring, of course, to the previous temple, to Solomon's temple. Haggai was speaking to a group of exiles led by a man named Zerubbabel who had been given permission by King Cyrus to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple that the Babylonians had destroyed about 70 years prior. So Zerubbabel and his workers completely rebuilt the temple from the foundation up. And after the completion, after the construction, they dedicated this new temple of Zerubbabel to the Lord. And at the dedication ceremony, there were mixed feelings among the Jews that were present. Some of them were rejoicing while others were weeping. Why? The older Jews were weeping. Some of them there were old enough to know something about the former house. Perhaps even a few of them were old enough to have even seen Solomon's temple before it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Solomon's temple was the most magnificent structure that had ever been built. It was constructed with great stones and cedar beams and boards overlaid with pure gold. To build it, Solomon employed 30,000 Israelites, 150,000 Canaanites, renowned artists and masons and goldsmiths and skilled craftsmen from Tyre and Phoenicia. The cost of Solomon's temple in present-day dollars is estimated to be about six billion U.S. dollars is what this temple of Solomon cost to build. It was so magnificent that when the queen of Sheba traveled from Ethiopia to see it for herself, she fainted and she said, I have heard rumors of its glory, but the half, you know it, the half has not been told. It was the most magnificent structure that had ever been built. But Zerubbabel's temple, the second or the latter house, it was built by a handful of exiles with limited resources and limited manpower. And when the Jews at its dedication, who were old enough to have seen or to know something of Solomon's temple, the Bible says they wept. They said to Zerubbabel, uh, sir, we Really appreciate what you have done and what these men and builders have done, but unfortunately, this latter house is nothing compared to the glory of Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple had housed the Ark of the Covenant, but that was no longer in the possession of Israel. At the dedication of Solomon's temple, the altar had been lit by a fire from heaven, and the temple was filled with the Shekinah glory of God but the attendees at Zerubbabel's dedication of the second temple they witnessed no such miracles there was great disappointment among those who saw the glory of the first temple they said to themselves this temple it's it's nice but it's it's nothing compared to the former house and that is where this verse comes in That is the setting upon which Haggai speaks this very famous prophecy. He stands in Zerubbabel's temple and he declares the glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. So the latter house that Zerubbabel is talking about or that Haggai is talking about is Zerubbabel's temple and the former house is talking about Solomon's temple and Haggai stands and prophetically declares the glory of this he's at the dedication and he he points to this somewhat uh, 
somewhat scaled down, not nearly as elaborate temple of Zerubbabel. And he somehow declares, God is telling you that the glory of this latter house is going to surpass the glory of the former house of Solomon. And surely the people are scratching their heads and they're saying, how could that ever be possible? Because Zerubbabel's temple pales in comparison to the former house. But God says the glory of this latter house will surpass the glory of the former house. What exactly did God mean? Because no queen from Ethiopia would ever come to Zerubbabel's temple and see it splendor and faint at its glory. Zerubbabel's temple didn't take $6 billion to build. It was constructed by poor exiles with whatever materials they could round up. So how, I asked this beautiful congregation this morning, how, just exactly how, would the glory of this latter temple of Zerubbabel ever eclipse or surpass the glory of Solomon's former temple? Well, if you know your Bible history, you know that in 37 B.C., Herod rebuilt Zerubbabel's temple. And one might wonder and say, is that how the glory of this latter house exceeded the glory of Solomon's temple? But we know that cannot be the case for a few reasons. First of all, Herod did not completely rebuild the temple. He gave it a facelift. But even deeper than that, God never honored Herod nor his temple. He was an illegitimate king according to the law. Herod might have given Zerubbabel's temple a facelift, but he never rebuilt the foundation and he never rebuilt built uh, the floors. It was really the, still the temple that Zerubbabel built uh, with sort of a facelift or an upgrade. So how exactly, I ask you today, was the prophecy of Haggai fulfilled? How and when did the meager temple of Zerubbabel ever exceed the glory of the first temple of Solomon? Well, it happened five centuries after Haggai spoke this prophecy. Haggai's word was fulfilled 515 years later when a young couple from Nazareth brought their six-week-old baby boy into the temple to present him to the Lord. And at the very moment that their child was carried across the threshold of the temple, the glory of the latter house of Zerubbabel exceeded the glory of the former house of Solomon. When Mary and Joseph brought that Christ child into the temple. The glory of that temple at that very moment exceeded the glory and splendor of the former house. All of the gold and all of the splendor of Solomon's temple paled in comparison when Jesus stepped into the temple as they brought the Christ into the house. When their feet touched the stones of the floor of the outer court, the stones that Zerubbabel and the exiles five centuries before had laid. At that very moment, the glory of the latter house exceeded the glory of the former house because you see, Jesus Christ was the glory of the temple. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple, in that instant, the glory of the latter exceeded the glory of the former in Solomon's temple. In the former house, there was wood overlaid with gold. But in the latter house, in Zerubbabel's temple that day, it was not wood overlaid with gold. Rather, it was humanity overlaid with divinity. God manifest in the flesh, stepped into that temple, and the glory of the latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord. In Solomon's temple, in the former house, there was the Ark of the Covenant, the very symbol of the power and presence of God. But in Zerubbabel's temple, in the latter house, there was something greater than the Ark of the Covenant because God himself stepped into that place and the glory of the latter house was greater 
than the glory of the former. In Solomon's temple, in the former house, there were 220,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep that were offered as a sacrifice at the temple dedication. But in the latter house, the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world, stepped into that place. In Solomon's temple, God sent his presence as fire upon the altar. But in the latter house, God sent his person into that place. God himself, robed in flesh, stepped out of eternity and into this world and walked into that temple. He was the glory of the house. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the glory of the house. He was the glory of the temple. That day when Mary's sandal feet touched the floor of the temple, carrying the Christ, at that moment, the prophecy of Haggai was fulfilled and the glory of the latter house exceeded the glory of the first temple when Mary and Joseph brought a 12 year old child to the temple and Jesus walks in at 12 years old and begins to confound the doctors and scribes and Pharisees of the law and begin to show that he was God manifest in flesh the glory of that latter house exceeded the glory of the former when Jesus went into the temple and drove out the money changers and said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The glory of the latter house exceeded the glory of the former. Because the glory of the house is not what is in it, but it is who is in it. I want to tell you that the glory of the house is not about what is in it. It is about who is in it. John said concerning Jesus, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, sheds new light on what Jesus said in Luke eleven thirty one. behold a greater than Solomon is here when Jesus stepped into the courts of that temple the glory of that temple surpassed the glory of the former now you may ask well that's an interesting story Pastor Paul but what does that really have to do with us? So we're celebrating 14 years in this wonderful new church. 14 years. Pastor and Sister Britt, the helm of this powerful congregation. You say, well, that's all interesting, but what does this have to do with me? Well, you see, the glory of any house is Jesus Christ. What made the latter house greater than the former is Jesus Christ stepped into that latter temple. It wasn't that Zerubbabel's temple had more gold than Solomon's, finer tapestries or more majestic limestone or granite. If that's how you were measuring the greatness or the glory, if you were measuring by that criteria, you would have to conclude that Zerubbabel's temple was a shack compared to Solomon's. Solomon's temple. What made the latter house more glorious than the former was not what was in the temple, but who was in the temple. Jesus is the glory of any house. You can build what you think is an impressive house, an impressive life. You can have money in the bank, a prestigious job, power, or position in this world, but it is not until Jesus steps into your house that it becomes truly glorious. You can have money and prestige and power, but there's something far more glorious and far more beautiful than money or fame or fortune, and that is Jesus Christ. When he enters, when he comes into your life, the glory of your life with him far exceeds the glory of your life without him. You can work and 
You can labor to acquire wealth and material possessions. You can erect a monument to your own talent, ability, and strength. But what makes a life glorious is when Jesus steps into it. When Jesus steps in, the glory of that house will be greater than what it was before his arrival. Jesus is the glory of any house. Jesus is what makes a life glorious. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The beauty of biblical prophecy is that it has many layers of truth, many layers of meaning. And this prophecy was, as all prophecy, was first and foremost a messianic prophecy spoken to some people on a particular day. Those people at that dedication of Zerubbabel's temple. It was a prophecy of the day when Jesus Christ would step into that temple. But what does that speak of the church? What makes a glorious church? It's not the physical building. It's not the architecture. It's not the gold, the silver, impressive spires, or fine tapestries. It is Jesus in the place that makes a temple glorious. It is the presence of Jesus that makes the house glorious. I stood in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome at the Vatican, and to the natural man, to the natural eye, it is incredibly impressive, massive, glorious, resplendent. Its architecture surpasses most any building in the entire world. The sheer size is overwhelming, the beauty stunning, the intricate detail of the masonry, the woodwork, the sculptures, the tapestries, the paintings. It is truly breathtaking. The nearby smaller yet no less spectacular Sistine Chapel is a testament to the skill and to the artistry of man. It is considered one of the major artistic accomplishments of human civilization. Michelangelo spent four years with a team of artists painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. You know, Sister Britt, that you're not allowed to have phones in there, but like your pastor's wife, I said to myself, I didn't come all the way to Rome to keep my cell phone in my pocket. So I took my cell phone out and I held it down low and I turned the video on and as inconspicuously as possible, uh, I walked through the Sistine Chapel filming the ceiling of that incredible edifice. And from a human perspective, these temples are glorious. But let me tell you, I have also stood inside of our meager sanctuary in Papua New Guinea with a dirt floor and straw placed on the ground to minimize dust and mud getting on your feet. A sanctuary with a frame made out of crooked wooden poles and covered on top by banana leaves woven together. Didn't even have chairs, Pastor Britt. And a thousand plus barefoot natives of Papua New Guinea would sit on the dirt floor. For a light, there was a single strand of wire running from the back to the front. And every 15 or 20 feet, there was a single socket with a 75-watt light bulb screwed into it. Since then, they've upgraded to a few fluorescent lights. But I can testify to you that the glory of that house, that meager dirt floor tabernacle, was greater than the glory of the Sistine Chapel because the glory of a house is not determined by what is in it. It is determined by who is in it. The glory of a church is not determined by its gold or silver or elaborate architecture or stunning natural beauty. The glory of a house is determined by who is in it. And 
when Jesus, when Jesus walked into that brush harbor in Papua New Guinea with healing, with deliverance, with salvation. When Jesus walked into that brush arbor with banana leaf roof, the glory of that house was greater than the glory of the Sistine Chapel or any structure of man because Jesus is the glory of any house. I felt no presence of God in St. Peter's Basilica. I felt no presence of heaven in the Sistine Chapel, but I've stood under the trees in Haiti with a little tarp stretched between tree branches to give us a little bit of shade from the rain and the sun. And when Jesus steps in to that place, the glory of that place surpassed the glory of the Taj Mahal. If it were all about gold or all about silver or impressive architecture, nothing would have surpassed the glory of Solomon's temple. But the latter house, Zerubbabel's temple, its glory far surpassed the glory of the former because Jesus Jesus walked into that place. What does that tell us? What does that tell us? What does that speak to Sanctuary Church today? If Jesus is not in the place, then what are we doing? If Jesus is not in this room, then what are we doing? Doesn't matter how good the praise team rocks it. Doesn't matter how good. Doesn't matter how good the musicians are. If Jesus isn't in the house, we might as well close up shop and go home. Because when Jesus walks into the room, everything changes. When Jesus walks into the room, darkness has to flee. When Jesus walks into the room, miracles of deliverance begin to happen. When Jesus comes into the temple, miracles of healing begin to happen. When Jesus is in the house, that's what makes a temple glorious. What difference does the decor make If Jesus isn't here, Sanctuary Community Church is so blessed with this beautiful, beautiful building. I came in this morning and stood in the back. My mouth just hung open as I looked at this beautiful building that you are so blessed to have. You are blessed, as you know, comfortable chairs air conditioning in the summer heat in the winter but let me tell you what you already know in your heart what makes this place glorious is Jesus what makes sanctuary church glorious is Jesus we are standing on holy ground we are standing right now on holy ground and I know that there are angels all around let us praise Jesus, now listen, if a church does not hunger for and make room for and prioritize the presence of Jesus, that church will soon become an empty cathedral, powerless to change anybody's life. It's all about him. This is his house, and if he isn't here, if he isn't here, it's not glorious. No matter how beautiful the physical building is, if he isn't here, it's not glorious. I thank God for great music and wow, what great music in this church. I thank God for great singing and oh my, what singing we've heard. I thank God for great talent and great leadership, but none of those things are a substitute for the glory of God. None of... None of those things are a substitute for the presence of God because it's not about what's in the house. It's about who's in the house. And when Jesus steps in to sanctuary church, it becomes glorious. It becomes resplendent. Listen, if I had to choose, I, I don't think these are mutually exclusive, Sister Lindsay. 
But if I had to choose between the world's greatest musicians and the world's greatest singers without Jesus or people who don't even know how to play in the right key and can't even sing on tune with Jesus, there's not even a second's hesitation as to which I would choose. And I'm glad I don't believe we have to choose. We just have to make sure that we've got singers and musicians and preachers that understand that all my human talent and all my human ability, if Jesus isn't in the house, we're nothing more than St. Peter's Basilica. We're nothing more than the Sistine Chapel. Without all of that, without Jesus in the house, we might as well hang up, hang it up and go home. All my human talent and all my human ability means nothing if Jesus is not in the house. Jesus, why don't you pray it with me? Say, Jesus, come by here. In fact, why don't you stand with me just a moment? I'm not quite done, but why don't you stand with me just a moment and lift up your hands. Would you do that? Would you lift up your hands and lift up your voice right now? I need some folks that would cry out and say, oh God, on this 14th anniversary of Pastor and Sister Brent, oh Lord, we are crying out to you, just letting you know we're blessed, we're thankful for everything we've got here. We're thankful for all of these nice things, but Lord, the house without you isn't glorious. The house without you stepping in, it's not glorious. Oh Lord, come on, come on, that's it. Why don't you lift your voice and say, God, we've got to have your presence in here, whether it's a Thursday night prayer meeting or a Wednesday night Bible class or a Tuesday ladies meeting or a Sunday morning service or a Sunday 10 o'clock Sunday school class. We've got to have, we've got to have your presence. Is there anybody pray with me right now and say, we got to have it, God. You've got to step into the room because that's the only thing that makes a difference. That's the only thing that makes a house glorious. Lift your hands with me now. Jesus, you are the glory of this house. You are the glory of this house. Hallelujah. 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 Just, just help me now. Just let's wait on the Lord just a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, my, my preaching ability can't deliver anybody from cancer. Lord, this wonderful worship team, as great as they are, their great vocal ability can't put a marriage back together. Lord, all these great leaders that Pastor Britt gave honor to of all these different departments, wonderful leaders and people, but God, all of our human ability and all of our human talent, without your anointing, Lord, without your presence, God, it's really fruitless. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus, because when you step into the room, that's when sicknesses are healed. When you step into the room, that's when those who are disjoined are put back together and healed. That's when relationships are restored. That's when marriages are healed. When you step into the room, that's Lord God when faith rises within us and gives us hope that we can walk with you in Jesus name in Jesus name Lord be the glory of this house the glory of this house thank you for standing you can be seated just a moment you know the thing about biblical prophecy is it it speaks so many things to so many people and it's the living word of God, as Sister Jamie Ball talked about this morning. It's, it's alive. It just, just keeps going and going and going. And this, this word of, of Haggai to those temple dedication attendees it spoke something to them. But this story shows us a pattern. Everyone say pattern. Shows us a pattern of heavenly things. God is trying in this prophecy 
to show us something about his ways. The pattern I believe we find in this prophecy of Haggai is summarized in this in Ecclesiastes 7 and 8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Whatever God touches, he improves. Whatever God puts his hand upon gets better, not worse. It's a pattern. It is a principle that we see in the scripture, right? At creation, the first day, God saw that it was good. And the second and third and fourth, God saw that it was good. But on the seventh day, or on the sixth day, when he created man, he saw that it was very good. Because with God, things just get better and better. You've got the first temple, glorious. The second temple, more glorious. You've got the first covenant, it's good. But you've got the second covenant, and it's better. Better promises, a better way. The first covenant left man with a heart of stone. The second covenant, God gives man a heart of flesh. It's a pattern. God just keeps improving things. You've got the first man, Adam, of the earth, earthly. But then the second man, Adam, Christ, heavenly. You've got the Old Testament, then you've got the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you had the blood of bulls and goats not able to fully eradicate sin but in the New Testament the better covenant the better testament you have the blood of Christ and though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as wool think of the parables of Christ concerning the kingdom of God first the blade then the ear then the full corn in the ear Jesus said the kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed it starts small but then it grows it becomes greater than all the other herbs of the field and it shoots out its branches and then birds come and lodge in its branches you see as you progress in God his glory magnifies the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house it's a principle with God with God he just keeps improving things each successive work of God is greater than the former with God we go from glory to glory, to glory. Now with the devil, it's just the opposite. Everything the devil touches disintegrates. Everything the devil touches degrades and descends and deteriorates. But with God, the glory of the latter is always greater than the glory of the former. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also and what? and greater works because with God everything just gets greater and greater. Greater works what's he talking about? In the first covenant God's presence dwelt in a physical temple but Jesus said something greater is coming I'm with you now that's good but something greater is coming I shall be in you. Oh your body is going to become the temple and that is greater. That is is an improvement that is moving from glory to glory. At Pentecost, the Spirit of God came and dwelt in men. Jesus said, now greater works will you do because I go to the Father, because I send my Spirit back. Now greater works are going to be done, not greater in quality. How do you improve upon raising the dead? But greater in quantity because now the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ Christ is in the entire body of Christ. You see, it's greater. Do you understand what I'm preaching today? That with God, the glory of the latter is always greater than the glory of the former. With God, everything he touches, he improves upon. It goes from glory to glory to glory, from good to better to best. God improves everything that he touches. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning 
thereof. That is why I believe that the last day's church will be the greatest church ever in the history of God's kingdom because with God, the glory of the latter exceeds the glory of the former. The latter reigns will eclipse in glory the former reigns. Now, if you think that the most glorious days of the kingdom of God are behind us and not before us, then you have failed to discern the heavenly pattern. If you think the glory of the early church was the pinnacle and the last day's church will be a meager, barely surviving church, then we are mistaken. If we think God started his church in Acts, glorious, powerful, a force that changed the world, but now somehow in the end, the church will be a weak, meager spiritual force, then we are failing to understand a principle that is established throughout the scripture. With God, the glory of the latter is always greater than the glory of the former. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you think the body of Christ was gorgeous and beautiful when she was born at Pentecost but will be weak and barely alive and hanging on by a thread just before the marriage supper then we're not discerning the ways of God. He's going to present himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it might be holy and without blemish. If you think the revival of Azusa Street or the revivals of the 50s and 60s were as good as it gets, then you're mistaken in your understanding of eschatology. Haggai's prophecy was not only talking about Solomon and Zerubbabel's temple. Haggai was talking about the church, the early church and the latter church. The early church of Acts and the end time church just before the coming of the Lord. He was talking about sanctuary community church. If you think if you think that the greatest days of sanctuary church are in the past, then you are failing to understand how God works. If you think the greatest hour of this church is in yesteryear, oh, I want to tell you in the Holy Ghost, the greatest days of revival are ahead of you and not behind you. I know there are prophecies about a falling away in the end and many departing from the faith, giving his heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. But I do not believe in the end that what hell and what the devil are doing will eclipse what God is doing. That goes against the entire pattern of the scripture. Yes, there will be those who fall away, but simultaneously there's going to be the greatest revival that the church age has ever seen. And it's going to happen in the end times. It's going to happen just before the Lord comes back because everything God touches it gets better and better and better. And so the last church the last generation, the last church just prior to his coming is going to be the greatest demonstration of a glorious church the world has ever seen because what hell is doing will never trump what God is doing. The angels are crying around the throne. Holy! 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 is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So be encouraged. Don't you let the condition of this world discourage you. Don't you let the condition of this world water down your faith. Our greatest hour is yet to come. Our finest hour lies ahead. You were made for this hour. And that is in no way a reflection of past accomplishment or past leadership or past days. That is not speaking in any way, shape, or form anything derogatory about yesterday. 
I'm just pointing out in the scripture that as glorious as anything God touched has been, what he touches next is even more glorious than the former. And the latter house is going to be greater than the former house. I want to prophesy to this church that the latter house is going to be greater than the former house. I'm, I'm not unthankful for what God's done. I'm not minimizing the miracles that have happened in this church to bring this church to where it is in the spirit. I'm not minimizing that in a moment. It is one miracle after another that has brought you to this place. It is one demonstration of God's power and spirit after another that has brought this congregation to where it is. I'm just telling you what Haggai's prophecy means to the church. As great as the glory has been, what God is about to do is going to eclipse the glory of what he has already done. Because with God, we go from glory to glory and the latter will always be greater than the former. So I can say without throwing any shadow on the past, you better get ready because what God is about to do in this place is going to surpass everything that God... In fact, let me just obey the Holy Ghost today. What God is going to do in this church is not only going to surpass what he has done, it is going to surpass in a cumulative way, meaning everything that has been done in the past in whole, in total, in accumulation. What God is going to do in the last days prior to his coming in Hartsville, Alabama is going to surpass anything that anyone in this church has ever seen. You better get ready. You better get ready because the glory of the latter is greater than the glory of the former. Don't let the condition of the world water down your faith. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former. The greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost in this community hasn't even happened yet. You believe what I'm telling you today? The greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost in this community has not even, oh, but pastor, you weren't here in the 70s. You weren't here in the 80s. You didn't, you didn't know anything about that great revival we had. We're not casting any doubt on that great revival. And we praise God for that great revival. But I'm just telling you that the glory of the latter is always greater than the glory of the former. And with God, everything just moves from glory to glory to glory. I'm not sure what this means, but early this morning in the Brits' house, the Lord spoke to me and said that this congregation, this congregation has to this point not followed the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria model, but rather whatever this means, that this church has reached its Samaria. But the Lord wants you to know that it's by his de design and by his plan. There's a reason that God has allowed you to reach your Samaria because it was important that you reach your Samaria. But now it's going to go this direction. It's going to go greater in glory, but it's going to move from Samaria to Judea to Jerusalem. I'm not really sure what that means. I think it might mean that you've been reaching people from 35 and 45 and 60 minutes away and there was a reason for that and God had a plan and a purpose for that. God needed that and God was going to use that. But what's going to happen is it's going to move not from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, but it's going to move from Samaria to Judea to Jerusalem. Only thing I think that means is that there's going to be people in this community. You You've been reaching people in surrounding communities but God said before this is over there's going to be people right here that live within five minutes you listen to me there's going to be families families that live within five minutes of this church who God's going to bring and God used winning somebody in Samaria and Judea to, to prepare what God is going to do now in Jerusalem your Hartzell Hartzell is your Jerusalem and you're about to see revival in Jerusalem that exceeds anything this church has ever seen. I'm telling you the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former. The greatest revival sanctuary has seen hasn't even happened yet. Let me say it again. The greatest revival sanctuary community church has seen has not even happened yet. I'm pointing you to a spiritual principle. The glory of the latter will be greater. 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 Stand with me right now. Would you pray? Would you lift your 
hands and say, I believe it, Jesus. I believe it. I believe what you're speaking in this room today. I believe, Lord, that we have not seen our greatest moment yet. Oh, God, I'm grateful. We are grateful for what you've done. We are, Lord God, almost, almost I feel hesitant, Lord, to say what I've said because it might appear that I'm minimizing what has happened. But, Lord God, we are not minimizing for one moment what you have done. We just believe that the latter is going to be greater than the former. Lift your hands with me. Let your voice out. Would you lift your hands and let your voice out? Lift your hands and just say, Jesus, I believe. Hallelujah. We stand against every, every spirit of this world, this woke, ungodly culture that attempts to rob us of our faith. We reject that spirit and we lay hold to faith. We lay hold to faith that this is your church. And oh God, you have things up your sleeve, things in store that we have not even fathomed. Hallelujah. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. That is not only talking about heaven. That is a prophecy to this church in this moment. I want to speak that to this congregation. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has has prepared. God has prepared some things for Sanctuary Community Church. There are some things that God has prepared that he has not served yet. There are things that God has prepared that you have smelled them but you have not seen them, nor have you tasted them. But you have got a sense of the aroma of what God has prepared. He's pre preparing something, Brother Britt, and you haven't even seen it yet. You can smell it. You, you, you can get a whiff of the aroma, but you can't really even articulate. I don't, you can't even fully articulate, Pastor what you feel in your spirit but I want to tell you that what what you smell what what you the aroma that's been coming to you 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 can't even you haven't even seen seen it yet he's been preparing it but he's about to serve what he's prepared for this church. Eyes not seen it, ears not heard it, hasn't even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for this church. It's about to unfold. The Lord is about to serve it. You believe what I'm preaching to you today? That the latter is going to be greater than the former. You know what? Let, let me, I, I just trying to be sensitive of, of the time but I just need to tell you what I feel in my spirit that this applies to you personally better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof and the latter you the latter you is going to eclipse the former you. What God is about to do in your all's lives is going to eclipse what He's done in your lives because the latter is always greater than the former. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are his creation. God is building us. God is working on us. He is the potter. We are the clay. He is molding and fashioning us. You are his creation. You are his masterpiece. And the latter will be greater than the former. 
Some of you feel like you've gotten off track. You feel like somehow you made the wrong turn and you're out here in the woods somewhere far from the path you're supposed to be on. But I want to prophesy to you, God's not done with you yet. God's not finished with you yet. In fact, you think, you think because of your wrong turn, you think because you've gotten off base, you think because your prayer life isn't what it used to be or somehow your devotion wasn't what it used to be that your greatest days are behind you. But I tell you in the Holy Ghost, if you stay in the hand of God, everything God touches, he improves upon. And you may feel like you're out of sorts right now. You may feel like you're off track right now. But I tell you, God's plans for you are greater than what you are now. And the latter you is going to be greater than the former you. The devil is so quick to remind us of our faults and failures and shortcomings. He's constantly reminding me. He's constantly reminding me of what is wrong in my life. He's so quick to point out what is unfinished. But I've got news for the enemy yet. I've got news for the enemy today. God's not finished with me yet. And in the end, when he is finished, my life is going to be glorious. The you at the end, when he is finished, will be greater than the you when he started. Because everything he touches, he improves. If you believe that, I want, to, I want you to run out of your seat right now. If you believe that, I want you to run out of your seat. All the way to this front. Come on, all the way till your toes nearly touch this altar. Throw your hands up and say, Lord, I believe. I believe you're not finished with me yet. I believe the glory of this latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former. I believe, Lord Jesus. I believe that what you are doing in me is not finished. Oh, don't judge me yet. God's not finished with me yet. Judge nothing before the time. He's not finished yet. You haven't seen the final product yet. The master author is still writing my story. The great composer is still composing the score. The great potter is still fashioning the clay. The great sculptor is still working on the piece of stone. Just wait. The great artist still has the brush in his hand. And when he's finished with me, and when he's finished with you, he's going to exceed the glory of the early house.